Mango Mustache Media. Hello, friend. Welcome to One Word Stories, the show where we take one word and let it inspire the stories we tell. I am, of course, your host, Alex Schulte, and this show is produced and distributed by the LAS Media Group right here in beautiful Cedar Rapids. We're in Czech Village now, baby. We're working our way up the ranks. Really excited. But all of these changes do come with upkeep. And if you'd like to support this show, this network, and all the other shows on this network, please consider subscribing to LAS Plus. Go to lasmediagroup.com slash plus for 10 bucks a month. You can get access to ad-free episodes, exclusive content, bonus exclusive limited series, uh, merch, discounts at our live events, and discounts at, at local businesses that we're partnered with. So that's really exciting too. But And then you get that, that warm and fuzzy feeling that you're supporting local in a really special way. So today, I have a very special guest with me talking about a, a really important topic, actually. And this is, this is one of those ones that we, we really made sure that we had to get in really quick before... Um, well, I mean, this topic's always going to be relevant, but it's especially relevant right now after news uh, broke in the capital of the United States not too long ago. But I'm not the expert in this topic, so I'm going to bring in the one person who I know best who can definitely speak to this. Um, But my guest today is House Representative. She's running for state Senate currently in the primaries that are coming up in June 7th, so make sure you put on your voting pants and get out there and vote. But my guest today is none other than Liz Bennett. Hi, Liz. Hey, Alex. How are you? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you for saying yes to this. I am so honored to have you here on One Word Stories. This is a really big deal for me because you're a really big deal to me. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm blushing over here, but, you know, I'm so grateful to be on the podcast today. This is such an important topic, not only for our nation, but for folks here in Iowa, and it's something that's going to affect everybody. So thanks for giving us a platform to talk about this. Are you kidding? Uh, This this platform, if if I have any sort of soapbox to stand on to talk about this, uh, I want to make sure that I can give it that that room. Um, Thanks for coming on and talking about such a touchy subject. I know it's not easy for, for so many people to hear about this to talk about it but it is one of those things that's just so important right now that we don't really have a choice um so like you said nationally it's an issue but what we're really talking about today is locally how we can get involved the real things that we can tangibly do to to help our neighbors um so i think we need to introduce today's word instead of tiptoeing around the subject which is kind of a metaphor for it isn't it so let's let's just jump in okay al help me out Today's episode is brought to you by the word abortion. Liz Bennett, how are you? I'm doing great. I'll try to call you by your first name from here on out. House Representative Liz Bennett, how are you? Do people refer to you like that? Uh, Yeah, sometimes people are like, oh, it's Liz Bennett. (laughs) Today we're talking about abortion, but more particularly women's reproductive rights. This is something that came out in uh, a, an article leaked that the Supreme Court was going to be voting on this to um, bring back Roe v. Wade. And I kind of pride myself in not knowing anything about anything, which means I get to be curious about everything. So I would love you to catch me up before we jump into this. Can we find out who you are really quickly? Absolutely. Thanks, Alex. Um, Well, to our listeners, I'm State Representative Liz Bennett. I'm a four-term state representative from here in Cedar Rapids. I've served in a number of different capacities, and I'm currently running for state Senate because particularly with the challenges that we will be facing in our state, we need a strong and experienced voice in our state Senate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's coming up June 7th. That is coming up June 7th. Um, I'm also the first out LGBTQ woman to serve in the Iowa State Legislature. This is a huge deal. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're literally paving the way for people that weren't able to do this before. Yeah, I've been really grateful to have that opportunity. And, you know, it's funny, it's not even something that you think about until 
school counselors come to talk to you at the Capitol and want you to talk to their students. And then you really come to understand even more why representation matters. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Are you seeing a lot of that right away? You're seeing um, um, other LGBTQIA plus students, women that are feeling more empowered just by you being there? Yep, absolutely. It was, you know, it was something um, that I didn't even really talk about very much the first year I was there until I started to have those experiences where teachers or counselors would reach out prior to coming to the Capitol and say, hey, I heard that you're LGBTQ. I have some students who I think would really benefit from talking with you. Um, So over the years and feedback with that, I came to understand that it is really important to talk about it. Uh, I'm super curious, too. What kind of negative things does that bring as well? Oh, you know, I think it's probably more things behind my back. Um, When I first ran, what I did experience is that you can be reduced to one aspect of your identity. Um, You know, I did not run on being an LGBTQ person. It's just who I am. Right. Um, You know, I did talk about the results of the work that I had done as an organizer. Um, But really, I was running on early childhood education, STEAM education, etc. So it was interesting because on the one hand, some people would say, oh, well, she doesn't really know anything about anything. She just knows about the gay stuff. Mm. And then on the other hand, um, because I am a bisexual woman, some people would say, oh, well, she's not even she's not even really LGBTQ. Mm. Um, so, you know, bisexual people frequently get caught in that type of bind. Um, but I have news yeah. for people. We don't owe you anything. <laughs> right. We get to love whoever we love and we don't any we don't owe anything to the religious right. We don't owe anything to anybody else either. No. Good for you. That's amazing, too. And, and I hope that somebody that might be battling with this right now might might hear this and feel empowered to, to go out and make some change, even though there might be people opposing the way that they decided to live their lives. And I say decide, but that's not even the right word. The it's not a decision. It's it's just it's who you are. So you what choice do you have? Yep, it, it is just who you are. So, you know, for anybody who feels caught in that bind, I hope that you will you'll take heed of Stonewall pioneer Marsha P. Johnson, <laughs> whose middle initiative P stands for pay it no mind. <laughs> Love it. Well, speaking of choice, um, there is one choice that some people are unfortunately um, confronted with in their lives. And, and right now that choice is they're arguing to take that choice away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is the, the choice to have an abortion. Yes. So what, what's happening? What, what is happening right now? Um, uh, nationally, but more specifically on a local level. Yep, absolutely. So I do want to do a quick recap on what's going on nationally and what the implications of that are, because underneath the umbrella of choice, of course, there is a choice to have an abortion, um, but that is really founded upon the right to privacy. So in 1973 with Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court found within the Constitution a right to privacy, which includes that decision about whether or not to carry a pregnancy to term. Um, It also had set precedent for decisions about contraception, birth control, um, even who you can have a relationship with or marry. Um, So the ramifications of Roe v. Wade being struck down and the Supreme Court striking down a right to privacy really will be felt in other areas of our life not just the choice of whether or not to have an abortion. So it's, it's a huge deal. How far does this um, net reach in, in other choices that they would be taking away when, with, with justice? I know abortion is the headline mm-hmm. here. Well, but what are the underlying issues that are also at stake? I would say that, you know, the biggest things to keep in mind, um, you know, would be really a lot of decisions between a person and their doctor. Um, you know, the biggest ones, the top line ones, you know, would be having an abortion, contraception, um, relationships, who to marry, et cetera. Um, but, you know, legal scholars probably have a lot more information on all of the things, all of the things that we're able to do because we take for granted a right to privacy. Um, and it's really interesting because, you know, within the Constitution, um, you know, we've pretty well accepted that um, we have a right to be free from unlawful search and seizure, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so under situations, um, you know, the police or the government would have to get a search warrant to enter your home, your car even, um, your trash even. Mm-hmm. Um, but then all of a sudden, when it comes to a uterus, um, you know, which is literally inside of a person's body, 
and the decision of whether or not to become pregnant or carry a pregnancy, um, the most private and personal decision that somebody can make, all of the sudden it is thought that the Constitution doesn't protect that privacy. Um, So it's kind of scary to think that um, a trash can or a car is considered more private than the uterus. Right, right. So I'm going to play devil's advocate Mm -hmm. here so we're not just in the complete echo chamber. Mm -hmm. So what do you say to somebody who says that it's murder? Well, I I think that that's a really loaded word. Right. Um, I think the bottom line is that this is a decision about a person's own body. It is a decision about their own future. Um. I I think I there's think so many there's so many other reasons to not have an abortion besides the fact of not having a baby. You might be choosing a woman's life over right the 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 life of this of this um fetus at this point. Right, exactly. You know, and I think the person who's best positioned to make that decision, you know, is the person whose body this is impacting, um whose whose health, um whose familial health. Um, whose mental health, whose social health, et cetera, the person best poised to make that decision is that person um, literally, you know, that, that this fetus is dependent upon for life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just a very private and personal decision. So one thing I'm seeing floating around too uh, um, in the argument that, that it's ridiculous to take that right away from someone is that even the church won't baptize a child who's not been born yet. They won't give a funeral to a, per, a, a child who hasn't taken its first breath, and yet they want to make sure that it comes to life. And and then the other, I'd say, thing that, that is worth looking at is that after the child's born, they're not then they're not getting the support that they need either. So it's it just seems like there's a lot of hypocrisy um, in, in it. And, and I, I don't know if we're actually thinking the whole thing through or if we're pushing some sort of religious agenda by doing this. You um, know, so yeah, I mean, I, I want to acknowledge that I understand that this is a very emotional topic for people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a deeper background in this issue than a lot of people do because I was raised, um, pretty deeply within the anti-choice movement. Um, so when I was a baby, um, my mom had me bundled up out on the picket line um, with signs, with graphic photos. Um, there were graphic photos just displayed um, in our home. And even now, if you go into my mom's office, um, they're, they're just full color graphic photos. Um, hmm. You know, so this is an issue that, you know, I've studied from a lot of different perspectives, um, both religious and non-religious. Um, and I, I do understand, you know, why this is such a, a compelling issue and an emotional issue for so many people. Um, so I, I just want to give that acknowledgement, um, you know, to listeners who might have different feelings about the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would say that for me as an adult, I'm really coming to understand, um, you know, that pregnancy is difficult, um, that it's not always the rosy picture that I was given growing up in that movement. Right. Um, you know, and that, that again, I've really come to believe through the stories that I have heard, the research I have done, um, that this is a decision that only the pregnant person can make. Mm-hmm. Um, and back to the beginning of time, women and people who can become pregnant have been managing fertility. Um, you know, I mean, so it's, it's a personal decision. It always has been. And it should continue to be. But to your point, it is very frustrating to me because, you know, there, there are people who say that, you know, they're pro-family or they want a family-friendly society. There are lots of policies that we could enact, number one, to be a more family-friendly society, and number two, to help people prevent pregnancy, um, you know, but, but also to not have to face a choice about whether or not to carry a pregnancy based on economic grounds or whether they will have health care or child care, et cetera. So, I mean, it's really unfortunate to me that we're not talking about better maternal care. Um, you know, black maternal health is a huge issue. Um, you know, so I, I just really wish that if we wanted a society that supported women and children, that we'd be working on issues like that, that we'd be working on paid family leave 
that we'd be working on the caring economy and making sure that child care workers mm-hmm. um, and elder care workers as well, you know, are getting paid fairly um, so that we can bring more of them into the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I think the other thing, you know, so we've, we've kind of talked about preventing pregnancy, et cetera. People also need to know, um, you know, that abortion is something that happens even in cases of wanted pregnancies. Right. Wanted pregnancies. Um, so I just hope that when people do discuss this issue, they do think about um, that the things they're, they're saying, they might have somebody in their network who wanted a pregnancy and made the really difficult decision to terminate a pregnancy, you know, based on you know, disorders that were incompatible with life or threats whatever. to their, their own life or whatever else. Um, I think a lot of people also don't realize that, um, you know, cause there's a stereotype, you know, of, of who gets an abortion. Um, yeah. I'd really like to jump into all the stereotypes and kind of nip those yeah. in the bud today if we could. So please. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have the exact statistic, um, you know, but lots of people who do choose to terminate a pregnancy, um, are married people. They're married people. They have other children, et cetera. Um, and there was a piece of research that I read when I was in college. And um, the researchers went and really dug into the reasons why people have abortions. And what they came to describe was something called an ethic of care. Um, and what that really refers to is kind of the the range of things that a person might take into consideration when they're deciding whether or not they can carry a pregnancy to term. Um, You know, so for some people, it's just not going to be feasible. Um, You know, other people may have a range of things, you know, that they're thinking about um, whether they're going to be able to care for children they already have, um, whether Mm. they have elder Mm -hmm. care responsibilities, um, you know, a lot of different things. Um, So I've come to the conclusion that, you know, life is really complex. And again, because this so intimately affects a person who is pregnant, that person is the best person to make that decision. Right. And there's so many factors that go into it. Mm-hmm. There's so many unknowns. But again, like you said, what is it uh, about about the, the P stands for it's not your business. Yeah, pay it no mind. <laughs> pay it no mind. Um, that's, that is the thing, though, is there's so many things that are just we don't know. And, mm-hmm. and it's not really our right to know their business, um, whatever the reason may be. So let's, here's another stereotype, I think, and to change the subject a little bit Mm -hmm. on, on this going a little bit deeper and stopping women from using birth control. Mm -hmm. Um, IUD would Mm -hmm. be illegal to use in some States, uh, because of the way that it affects with the lining of the uterus, I guess. So I, I think it is really important, you know, again, having grown, growing, having grown up in this movement, Um, I've spent a lot of time, you know, reading publications that are sent out, you know, looking at emails, things like that. Um, And I can tell you that there are people who I know who are active on this issue um, who think that something like an IUD is an abortion. Mm -hmm. Um, Because especially in the case of a non-hormonal IUD, um, it really works by irritating the lining of the the uterus to prevent implantation. Um, You know, so some people think that something you can't even see a fertilized egg cell um has more rights you know than than a grown woman or a grown person right well i guess at that point where do you stop is masturbation abortion you know to be fair to be fair (laughs) even though even though you know i i love a good uh rousing round of every sperm is sacred um you know they would argue that although maybe some people have other religious objections um to that practice they would argue that what is at issue is is that fertilized egg cell sure okay okay well um Oh, this is fascinating. I, I, I'm trying to decide how I want to navigate this before we go into the break. Uh, but the big thing I'm, I'm really curious about that I really want my listeners to know is how to get active locally. And honestly, not even how to get active, but how to sit on your couch and what exactly to care about. Because I think there's a lot of information that gets, flo- that's, gets floated around. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Facebook is a place to get a lot of information mm-hmm. these days, and it's not always credible. Um, but but we're also getting we get we have great local news kcrg does a great job and and they're talking about the the i don't know the blanket issues but to really dive into this topic today i want to know what 
what should I care about? Who, who do I talk to? What mm-hmm. can I do? Is the only thing that I can truly do go and vote on June 7th? Oh, there's a lot to do. Um, I'm so glad you asked, but I would encourage um, everybody who's getting ready to vote on June 7th, you should be asking all of your candidates, um, whether they're running for state legislature, you know, whether they're running for higher office, whether running, whether they're running even for um, a city, a city office or a border commission, um, what their views on this topic are. Because another thing that I know, I know a few different things. Um, Number one, Um, People who oppose legal abortion are very aware that running for lower offices or so-called lower offices is what builds the bench and builds people a platform to run for higher office. Um, So that's one thing to know, you know, whether whether somebody's running for school board or whatever else. And school board, I might add, um, you know, has a lot of leeway, you know, over over the tone. that a school takes towards, for example, medically accurate information mm-hmm. um, within the school. But but the other thing is that um, something like a city councilor or somebody who's a mayor, even though some of these positions may not be quote unquote partisan, um, you know, we saw during the 80s and 90s that what can really come into play is zoning. Okay, so at every level of government, people who are rabidly anti-choice can use different levers to restrict access. And even if they're not doing it at that level or they're not able to, you know, they are going to be recruited for to run for higher office. Mm. So you really need to know where any elected official stands. So even somebody that's on the school board mm-hmm. that could that could eventually be something like you might not think that that matters, mm-hmm. but. It really, really does. It absolutely does matter. It 100% matters. Mm-hmm. Um, you it know, does, so that's never just stops there. No, it never stops there. So that's something to know. Um, I would say that the biggest thing that Iowans need to be aware of that's going on here um, is that, okay, long story short, um, we've had a bunch of anti-abortion bills over the past eight years that I've been in the state house. Um, a 20-week ban, a six-week ban. Um, the six-week ban got struck down. The 24-hour waiting period got struck down, but the 20-week ban is still in place. Now, some people might say, oh, well, I think that actually sounds okay because um, I've heard really bad things um, about a 20-week abortion. Something that I have learned over time and I would like to share with listeners is that at the point of 20 weeks, no one is simply deciding to have an abortion. At the point of 20 weeks, we are talking about a wanted pregnancy We are talking about people who have already had a baby shower. They may have names Mm. picked out. Um, You know, they have they have clothes picked out and they're getting the worst news that they are ever going to get in their life, Um, that either their life is in danger or there's something very, very wrong. Um, So I, I would really ask listeners to to bear that in mind, because, of course, there were there will be a whole bunch of rhetoric. Um, there's so many more reasons than I don't want a baby. Right. No one, no one is saying that at 20 weeks. Um, it's a difficult, it's a, it's difficult to terminate a pregnancy at 20 weeks. Um, your body, your body has already started changing significantly. Um, you know, your hips have started widening a lot of different things. Um, so it's, it's expensive. It's traumatic. Right. Um, and it's not something that anyone, anybody wants to do. Right. Um, so I'd ask folks that when they come into contact with that rhetoric or see things on Facebook or in ads, please understand. And when you talk about the issue that someday you might have a family member or a friend who is confronted with the worst news they are ever going to get in their life. Mm-hmm. I have one last question for you before we go to break. And then when we come back, I really want to dive into your brain mm-hmm. and find out how you became to be and why Iowa matters so much to you, Mm -hmm. why this topic matters so much to you. Um, um, But I guess I I know the answer to this question, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on Mm it is if abortion is made illegal um, on a federal level, Mm -hmm. will people stop getting abortions? No, people will not stop getting abortions. Um, People will stop getting safe abortions, um, particularly people who have, less access to money. Um, you know, folks who are wealthy will always be able to hop a plane to another country, you know, Canada, France, wherever. Um, but folks who don't have the disposable income, um, who are facing the same range of choices that, 
you know, choices and stressors that our, our grandmothers faced um, will resort to desperate things. And one of the most interesting phone calls I've ever had was just a few weeks ago when I was speaking with a constituent, um, Mr. Steve Jackson, um, an older man. He's a retired attorney. Actually, I think he does still work. Um, but he said to me on the phone, and you could just hear the emotion in this man's voice, and he said, well, you probably don't remember this, but I'm probably the only person in Iowa to have ever prosecuted an abortion. And I said, oh, well, tell me more, please. And he said, and he, it was almost like he was choking up and tearing up. And he said, well, there was a young woman, you know, and, and she saw it, you know, an abortion. This was before Roe. And he just said, you know, those bastards. You just can't even imagine what they did to her, mm. um, you know, and they left her in a parking lot to bleed out. That happened here in Cedar Rapids. Um, you know, so that's unfortunately something that our, our mother's generation, our grandmother's generation know all too well. I mean, I just can't tell you the stories that I've heard. Um, you know, what a lot of people also forget, you know, most of us have seen Dirty Dancing. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Um, but we remember that, that Johnny's original dance partner um, seeks an illegal abortion and becomes very sick because of it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I did forget that. Yeah. So this is something that used to be very common. Um, so that's that's something to know. Um, it's just culturally, pop culture has, has changed in that way because of... Mm-hmm. The rhetoric. Right. And what a lot of people also don't realize is maybe they had an aunt or, you know, somebody, a great aunt or somebody who passed away from something or another and it wasn't a legal abortion and people just never, they just didn't say it, mm. even though everybody would have known. Um, you know, so that's, that's not good. We shouldn't go back to that. Um, and after the break, we should talk about what's specifically going on in Iowa and how people can get involved. I love that. I love that. Um, well, this is a perfect time then. Let's let's send it over to an ad really quick. And uh, we'll be back in just a couple minutes with House Representative Liz Bennett talking about women's reproductive rights. Stay right here. Representative Liz Bennett, who is currently running for state senate, that primary is on June seventh, and we are here talking about abortion. Um, but also, I said this over the break. I really want to get to know you better as a person, and and go back in into your history to find out why these topics matter so much, why you think the way you think, why you walk the way you walk, and and who you are as a human being. Um, but before the break, you said that you wanted to talk about how local Iowans can get active and and can help in this issue. Let's dive into that really quick before we dive into you. Yep, absolutely. Okay. And I'm also going to crack a beer open. Yeah. Shout Let's out to uh, to Big Grove, local brewery. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Liz. <laughs> no, it's it's good to lighten the tone a little bit here because we're, we're talking about something that's so serious and it so is. consequential. It is. But um, I think... I kind of want to be an example of you can have this conversation yeah. and not be pulling teeth. Absolutely. You know, you can you can have a cordial conversation with family or friends about this. Just bring facts to the table and try to leave emotion mm-hmm. at the de- at the door. Absolutely. Which is easier said than done. Sure, sure. You know, this is it's. I would I would say that a balance of emotion is good on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I I think that especially on this one because this is such a personal issue, we should empathize you know, with, with one another, you know, we have the facts and, um, the fact to me, right. Of course. That's a great point. It's hard to have empathy without emotion. And and that is a big part of this subject is having empathy for another person. Yeah. Really putting yourself in somebody else's shoes Yeah, and saying, 
what went into this decision because there's a lot more than you think. Yeah. You just got to be curious. So, yeah, I mean, definitely put yourself in other people's shoes, not their rooms. (laughs) That's that's a T-shirt. Can we make it? Actually. That's a fucking great T-shirt. Dang. Jeez, I'm going to have to start a marketing company or something. It took us a half hour to get to the curse word, but here we are. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Stay stay out. Put yourself in someone's shoes, not their uterus. Yep. Uh, um, I'd wear that shirt. I'd wear those shoes. Yeah. Maybe we put it on the side of a shoe since it's uh, kind of ironic. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. I digress. <laughs> let's dive back in. All right. Let's dive back in, Alex. Okay. So we've talked about what's going on at the, the federal level. Um, we need to talk about what's going on here in Iowa because the, the laws that I mentioned earlier, the waiting period, six-week ban, 20-week ban. Um, so the 20-week ban is still in effect, but the other things that have been stricken have been stricken on the basis of the Iowa Constitution, okay, and and finding within the Iowa Constitution a right to privacy, right? Um, so um, the forces who disagree with that then— Could you get us a little closer to your microphone for me, please? Yeah. Or, just, or bring it to you. Oh, okay. If you're going to. Yeah, no, I'll Sorry. go. Sorry, I'll, I'll clean this part up. Okay, that's good. Um, so so um, because those decisions were based on the Iowa Constitution, then anti-choice forces said, okay, well, we're just going to change the Iowa Constitution. So for that to happen in Iowa, a, a constitutional amendment has to pass through two consecutive legislative assemblies, and then it goes on to the ballot for a popular vote, right? Now, some people might say, oh, that would never really happen here. Well, I have news for you. It's already a third of the way through the process. It's going to be coming back at us in the 2023-2024 legislative session because of the makeup of the legislature. It would be very surprising for it not to pass, although I do think that as it becomes closer to becoming a reality, um, some some legislators who have supported it before may be open to pressure. Um, you know, So that's something that's really important to know. We'll talk about how you can do that. Um, but barring that, it's going to go on to the ballot in 2024. And here's why that is concerning. Um, it's concerning specifically because many people might say, oh, I, I don't think that would ever happen in Iowa. Um, you know, because many of us anymore, especially, do kind of surround ourselves with folks who think like we do, or we just don't talk about this topic. And... So, so then you have, you know, one group of people kind of saying, oh, I don't think that would ever happen. Right. But then you have an entire other group of people with whom I am well acquainted who have been waiting since 1973 to fill buses and go vote to make abortion illegal. What do you mean? They've been waiting since 1973. Can you expand upon that? Yeah, I can expand upon that. Um, there are some people, um, you know, who, who felt that decision was wrong because they oppose abortion. Um, they gained steam. You know, in the years following 1973, um, they united forces um, with a movement for Christian nationalism um, and um, really kind of united forces with the with the Republican Party in the late 70s and early 80s. Um, And that's where you saw things like the Christian coalition, um, you know, candidates talking about being, quote unquote, family values candidates Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's really worth pointing out that people of faith, you know, have have not always um, defined being a person of faith by opposing abortion. Um, you know, many faiths and many pastors, um, you know, felt that this was a family decision or at the very least, um, you know, that it, it was not an issue until, you know, what they were, would refer to as quickening you know, or movement kind of within the womb. Um, and, and some faiths historically, you know, have erred on the side of the mother or the parent, you know, until um, until an infant is born. So so it's very interesting because I think there's a narrative that, um, that you know, quote, Christians or people of faith, um, you know, have to be radically anti-abortion. And that has not been historically true. And it's not true now. Right. There are many people of faith who, you know, would conceive of it more as erring on the side of compassion, um, you know, a person's individual rights and, you know, their their walk of faith, um, you know, with them having that decision. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I do love that you point out that not all Christians mm-hmm. believe this because they, they, 
I think a lot of people are almost afraid to say they're Christians sometimes mm-hmm. these days because of all the negative connotations that come connotations that come along with it, mm-hmm. and of how the Catholic Church has acted in the last mm-hmm. well forever. Um, I mean, I was brought up very, very Catholic, and mm-hmm. find myself practicing less and less because of the humans that ran it. You know, not necessarily mm-hmm. a relationship with God, but a relationship with. Um, with the uh, uh, the translators, the people that are that are that the priests that are speaking um, directly to God or, or any I don't know I just yeah. I find myself getting more and more distant. But yeah, I real quick I just want to take a segue on that. You know, if if there are folks who are listening who are people of faith um, and also pro choice, um, there there are some really great groups in the state. Um, the Iowa Interfaith Alliance um, is a group that you know typically advocates for um, civil rights. Um, and there's also, I believe, a Catholics for Choice contingent. Hmm. Um, you know, so you certainly can be a person of faith, you know, and still believe that this is a decision that needs to be made between a woman, a pregnant person, their doctor, um, and, and whatever their faith leader is. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, Jesus would choose empathy. We don't know. We don't know. You no, know, I'm sorry. I never met the guy. I couldn't tell you what he was like. No. But um, I can tell you what I feel like, and I feel empathetic towards others, and I would like to stick with that. Um, shifting away from the topic mm-hmm. a little bit here, I want to find out more about you. Okay. Well, okay. about me, you have to let me say one thing. Absolutely not. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. Um, so one thing to know really quickly, as we, as we segue away from that topic, um, people who do want to become more involved can do a Google search for Planned Parent Advocates of Iowa who are beginning grassroots yep. activism um, and organizing on this issue. Um, I would encourage folks to think about the stories in their life um, and be willing to bring this conversation up with the people in your lives, even if it's an uncomfortable conversation. Um, And also consider donating to groups like the Iowa Abortion Access Fund. Again, you can Google that. Um, you don't have to Google it. It's in the bio. (laughs) But but this is this is a group that, you know, helps people with access because, um, you know, even in the early stages, an, an abortion can be really expensive and health insurance doesn't always cover it. Yep. Yep. So. And we'll circle back around to yep. these as well at the, at the end of the episode. I definitely want to give people resources and places to go directly. Um, but, but yes, we will, we will hit that again. And I want to also give them a place that they can find more about you. Okay. Um, but we'll circle back around to that. If that's yeah. okay with you. Mm-hmm. So what's your favorite color? Purple. Cool. Why? I just like it. That's cool. That's a great <laughs> answer. So, okay, in 2022, who is Liz Bennett then? Liz Bennett is House Representative. You're currently running for for Senate. I I guess we already kind of covered that a little mm-hmm. bit of who you are, but I, I want to work our way back in time here and go back to what it's like to be elected as um, a, a, a server to the people, um, you know, at such a young age mm-hmm. and... and um, what is, I don't know, being the first LGBTQIA+, being the first openly bisexual House representative in the state of Iowa, these are all huge things. And mm-hmm. I kind of want to know more about the emotions that come along with these things. Mm-hmm. Not just the um, the headlines and, and the, uh, um, I guess, the accolades that come with them, but how does it feel? Hmm. Gotcha. Well, um, so the first time I ran, um, I think that from the time I started running to the general election was about 18 months. Um, I was working full time throughout the entire process. And um, so that was challenging, to say the least. And um, I was really lucky. I had an amazing group of people who were helping me, um, people who were driving me on doors, people who would pick me up and bring me a slushie, um, <laughs> you know, people who would meet me at my place afterwards to send follow up voter contact to voters. Um, just an amazing group of people who really believed in me. And that was that was awesome. Um, and I, I like telling this story a little bit because there are kind of stereotypes about about people who go into politics, a.k.a. politicians, um, <laughs> you know, in Iowa. Um, so I think it's it's kind of cool to know that a lot of the people who were really part of my core team when I ran were people who got to know me when I was in college. Um, and after that, when I was an organizer, um, you know, when I when I was having, let's just say, alternative hair. <laughs> um, was it purple? Uh, no. However, I have had lavender colored hair um, as an elected official. That's dope. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, some people kind of thought, well, why would you do that? 
And, um, you know, the reason I have expressed myself a bit, um, you know, through my hairstyles typically is because I believe that I have important work to do. Um, I have done important work over the past eight years and it really became a decision for me, um, of be able to express myself and feel like I'm being myself or just not do it. Yeah. Um, and when you feel that you have more work to do, then you, you gotta say, be authentic. right. Then, so then you just kind of say like, well, I feel like I need to do this and I'm just going to have to continue proving, um, you know, that whatever stereotypes people have, you know, are not true. So show up with your homework done. Um, and I, I realize there is, you know, I think some privilege inherent in that position. Um, but like I said, I really felt like for me, it was, I still have more work to do, but to make this sustainable for myself, I am going to have to kind of be a little authentic here. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because any other way is just impossible. It's not sustainable. No. Um, so, so what year were you elected for the first time? I was elected in 2014. Okay. Mm -hmm. What was that like? I mean, was that just you, you like winning the lottery? I can't imagine. Well, you know, I, so I tend to be a pretty stoic person. Um, you know, I, I'd been working so hard, so I had a really difficult primary. Um, so that was in June of that year. And I mean, it was just really like, just put your nose to the grindstone. I mean, I would just come home from work every day, change into kind of my door knocking uniform, mm -hmm. um, get something to eat and then just, just Which is what you're wearing today. Yep, I am. <laughs> You've been door knocking all day today. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I, I kind of have a uniform that makes it easier for me. Um, pardon me. Um, but yeah, you know, and then I would go hit doors until dark and then come home and, um, you know, send personalized contacts to voters. Um, I was burning the candle at both ends. I mean, I, I will sure. say I, but it, it takes, it takes a village. I mean, you weren't doing it by yourself. No, I wasn't doing it, you know, by myself. Um, the, the emotional load, um, of being a candidate is extreme. Um, because people do look at you differently. They judge you differently. Um, yep. People say things to you and behind your back that you never thought them capable of. Mm. Um, you know, and people that were close to you. Yeah. You know, or people who you thought you were on the same team with. Mm. Um, you know, so you, you kind of have to learn to manage that. Um, How do you manage that? How did you learn to manage that? Ooh. How do you brush that off? Is it therapy? Well, is it, uh, um, you know, I, I am a proponent of therapy. Um, and it's good to mention that May is mental health awareness month. It is. Yes. It is. So I, you know, I encourage everybody if you have access therapy to therapy. Therapy has changed my life. Therapy's amazing. amazing. Um, you know, so please, if, if you're somebody who feels that you need resources, don't be scared, you know, reach out for resources. Yeah. Um, but you know, certainly therapy, um, you know, certainly I did have people who just were personally supportive in my life. And that meant a lot to me. Um, you know, it, I kind of would joke that it was kind of like being a puppy, you know, like the puppies like run, 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 you know, and then just kind of like falls asleep in the middle of the floor. <laughs> That's what it would be like. I would just become like so physically and mentally exhausted. Um, you know, I'll I'm bet. a, I'm a human being and I'm sensitive and I think that being and things hurt your feelings. Yeah. And I, and I think that honestly, like, Keeping that sensitivity, I think, has allowed me to do this work in a way that people have appreciated, um, because I think it's pretty apparent when I speak on an issue on the floor, or when I'm telling somebody's story, that I am personally moved by it, and I want other people to be personally moved by it as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there are two sides of that, because on the one hand, you're taking on this really heavy emotional load, um, you know, and then on the other hand, I mean, there's, I just wouldn't do it any other way. So, right. well, so when you decided to run, were, were, weren't you afraid that like, okay, they're going to dig, dig, dig and find everything. They're going to find every curse word I've ever said. And, and, um, every time I've ever farted is now going to be broadcasted across the nation. Mm -hmm. That's terrifying. <laughs> and that's, if I wanted to run in politics, that's the one reason I wouldn't is because, People would just dig through everything. I mean, I mean, what kind of self-audit did you have to do to uh, prepare for that? Yeah, I mean, you you know, you do have to kind of be a worst-case scenario thinker. Um, interestingly, Danica Rome um, from... Who's that? Um, oh, my gosh. I, I have a mega legislative crush on Danica Rome. <laughs> um, to the point when the one time that I got to meet her, I, I just like... 
you know, it was like if anybody still watches South Park, I think it was Stan and South Park would like throw up when he was talking to a girl. Oh, I, yeah. Yeah. I like met Danica <laughs> Rome and I was like, oh, <laughs> so so Danica Rome, um, Danica oh. Rome is a is a transgender um, assembly member. Um, down in West Virginia. Um, and Danica really ran on fixing one of their highways. Um, and before she ran, she actually did opposition research on herself and thought about, okay, well, what are things they might say about me? Opposition research. Yes. Oh, that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so, you know, she was like, okay, they're going to they're gonna come after me for being transgender. They're going to come after me and you'll try to portray me as a weird yogi. Um, and Danica's a big metalhead and has played in metal bands. So, you know, Danica just decided like, okay, you know what? We're just going to be out front about all of this. And to a certain degree, I mean, that also did inform kind of some of my self-expression. Um, because it, I mean, it's, it's better to let people get to know you, you know, and process that. Um, and also through the lens that you're giving instead of through the lens of somebody that wants to hurt you. Yeah. I mean, your image. you know, look like I, um, I think one of the reasons why I am so empathetic to other people is that, you know, when I when I was growing up in the 90s, um, y- you know, I felt like there was something different about me. I didn't already or I, I didn't always know what it was. But, you know, I just, you know, there was the regular teenage angst that you have. But, you know, I think some other stuff that was going on with gender and sexuality, even though I didn't know what to call it, um, you know, but my friends and I were definitely... Um, you know, kind of, I suppose, what you would label alternative. You know, we were kind of doing our own thing, <laughs> doing our own fashion choices. Um, you know, but I got to know a lot of different people and heard a lot of different stories. You know, and I've always been somebody who, because I've experienced sitting alone or being picked last, I don't want to see other people sitting alone or picked last. Mm. Um, you know, but I mean, so certainly, like, the pictures are out there of me with pink hair, like, the pictures and that's are, supposed to deter people from voting for you? Sure. I mean, so so it's like one of those things where like you're like, okay, like I need to make sure that people actually know me and support me because otherwise you're vulnerable to those attacks. If you're if you're making this image that's not really holistic, you know, then you're vulnerable to an attack where somebody says like, "Oh, here she is with a mohawk or you God know, forbid. Did you know that here she is at 17 wearing a spiked collar? Oh, no. You know, or something like that. So, I mean, you, you really do, especially in the digital Excuse me, age. I'm sorry. Did you wear a spiked collar? Because I think we have to end this interview now. <laughs> that's the case. Thanks. Actually, you want to hear a funny story? Absolutely. Okay. So, um, there was this alternative teen club that I went to in the Quad Cities when I was growing up called Off Limits. And <laughs> so edgy. <laughs> So, but this is a place that could have only existed before social media and before cell phone cameras because there, you know, there certainly was some stuff going on. I wasn't getting into trouble. Honestly, I wasn't. Yeah. Um, I just was more like rebellious and, you know, liked to speak up about things that I didn't think were fair, which go figure. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I can't believe my mom even let me go there, but I guess she picked her battles and there we were. So right, right. she picked me, she picked me up this one night and, you know, I'm wearing like ripped up fishnets or tights. I probably have ripped up pantyhose or something on my arms and right you know knee high boots and a spike collar little holes for your thumbs yes (laughs) (laughs) the whole thing it was the 90s people it was the 90s right um not a flannel what (laughs) but okay so you know i mentioned earlier that you know my mom is deeply embedded um in the anti-choice community in the quad cities um you know and just kind of the religious right in general and so she would get tasked because we had a van. She would get tasked with picking up these big, these big like yard signs for these religious right candidates. So she picks me up that night and we go over to Moline and she says, OK, now, honey, I'm going to need you to get out. I need you to go over there and get that sign. And I was like, um, I don't know if they're going to believe that I'm the person who is supposed to be picking up the sign <laughs> to be nice. Right. You know, of course, she said, that's ridiculous just get over there <laughs> you know or whatever but it you speaking know speaking of south park that sounds like uh stan's mom or something <laughs> by the way stan <laughs> i can't do it you're yours is too good you should be a voice actor yeah, maybe i should but uh anyway my, so what happened 
Oh yeah, I mean, of course, I just I just got the sign and it was fine. Oh, Whatever. okay. <laughs> no, it was it was fine. But it would be it would be really funny. It just it's it's always struck me as something that you know should be in some kind of like you know sitcom about growing up as right. a weirdo in the nineties. Absolutely, absolutely. That's probably a pretty relatable thing for a lot of kids too, especially in the nineties. What was your favorite band in the nineties? Mm. Speaking of alternative, were you listening to Nirvana or? Um. So my first love was really Tori Amos. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I mean, Tori Amos is pretty badass. Yeah, I mean, very, you know, very subversive. You weren't um, a Backstreet Boys NSYNC fan in the 90s? Because, man, that was my jam in the I, 90s. I'm really happy for you. But First just... concert ever, Backstreet Boys, Carver Hawkeye Stadium, second row, it was nuts. Aw. Yeah, it was I, pretty cool. I'm really happy for you. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it was so good. And they're still good. But, I, you know, I will say, uh, you know, so it's, it's unfortunate, you know, some, some of the other bands I listen to, um, some of the people have, uh, been exposed to be total creeps now. Um, so yeah. that's unfortunate, but I, I definitely, I definitely liked like Nine Inch Nails, Ministry, yeah. um, stuff like that, as well as, you know, other, other music. Like I, I just loved Tori Amos. I had 24 Tori Amos CDs. I've seen her numerous times. Um, and Ani DeFranco. I just loved Ani DeFranco. And I don't even know who that is. Oh my gosh. I mean, she just really inspired me. And, you know, I think like a lot of other women of my generation who were kind of not sure, you know, but really we were kind of queer and just thought all the girls felt that way just because all of our friends felt that way. But then Mm -hmm. we figured out that actually just all the queer girls were hanging out. Um, you know, like I, I first saw Anita Franco on sessions from West 54th Street on PBS. And they're just looking at this woman. I was like, aha, like there's something, there's something that. That I relate to. Yeah, there's something simpatico here. Um, so, you know, yeah, I was definitely into that. And then, you know, as I got a little older, I moved more into listening to um, like the Sisters of Mercy, Bauhaus. So um, how do your parents feel about all this as you're growing up and you're definitely not turning into them? You know, so so I want to say, um, you know, that that my parents love me, you know, and, and we do have a loving family. And, you know, we and I don't mean to like push us into this. We don't have to talk about <laughs> like your relationship with your parents by any means. It's fine. But it's just I'm just kind of curious of what it was like to grow up as you. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. So, you know, I, w- I would say that, you know, like we I know that my parents definitely love me. Um, I butted heads with my mom pretty early. I think there are a number of reasons um, for that. Uh, many, uh, many of these reasons I've been talking about in therapy for 20 years. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, but you know, I think our parents do the best that they can, you know, with the knowledge that they can. But, um, my mom was very much into Dr. James Dobson. Um, I'm not sure what that is to be honest. Um, he, um, oh shoot. What is the name of his network? Um, like a TV network? Yeah, I think he had a TV show and he wrote a whole bunch of books sort of about like Christian parenting. Mm. Um, you know, like this one particular book called Dare to Discipline. Um, this is about to take a downturn uh, because we're going to start talking about spanking and child abuse here. Ah, I mean, um, I, I'm okay with that if you are, but yeah. we can, we, we don't have to go down that road if you want to. Yeah. I mean, so like, let's just say that, you know. And also just a side note, this isn't live. I can go okay, back yeah. and, and I can. Do whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll just say that uh, my parents were heavily into corporal punishment. Um, you know, and I do think that that um, shaped me emotionally um, and in other ways. Sure. Um, I don't recommend it, but I suppose you develop an attitude where you say, well, they can't kill me. Um, you know, and luckily I was not in a situation where my parents were going to kill me. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, other kids do end up in unsafe situations like that, um, particularly LGBTQ kids um, are ejected from their homes, end up in foster care, et cetera. Um, but moving away from that, um, sure. that's kind of the that's the deep dive or like the tip of the iceberg of the deep dive of yeah, what yeah. it was like. But I mean, I would say I would say that. Um, you know, my mom's vision of the daughter that she wanted, you know, was very much like a nice young lady, um, you know, like pretty and elegant and um, things Which like that. Which you are both of those things. Thank you. Um, I, 
just, you know, growing up in that environment, though, that was, you know, very repressive. So I would say that, you know, thank you for the compliment. But things are on my terms now. Yeah, you know, I can I can shape my appearance and how I relate to other people. Um, I have a lot more choice in that and who I can choose to interact with. Yep, yep. Um, and if they don't like how I interact with them or they have expectations of me that I find to be sexist or unacceptable, um, I can simply not inter- interact with them or change how I interact with them. Right. Right. Which is unelegant. Yes, that's right. <laughs> right. Um, you know, but that that just was not going to, you know, fly with me. You know, absolutely. I, not. I was questioning a lot. I questioned authority. Um, you know, I loved speech and debate. Um, I was a good student and, um, you know, you love that your kid is a good student and reads a lot and, you know, is good at speech class and debate until they're debating you. Mm. Um, you know, so, so that was kind of a the thing. The Obi-Wan Kenobi, Darth <laughs> Vader conundrum. Look yeah. what they've created. But, you know, I do, I do have to hand it, you know, to my parents a little bit um, because, for example... Um, you know, I know some, some parents really didn't like their kids, um, you know, wearing like big pants or, you know, I would wear, wait, did you wear, uh, what, what those big thick jeans? What are those called? Jinkos. Jinkos. Did you wear those? I did have a pair of Jinkos. (laughs) I did. It was, listen, it was the nineties. Oh man, I'd pay for that picture. Oh, actually I have one. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, but, um, is that, is that for, for your, uh, your prime listeners only my Um, Jinkos picture? Yeah. LAS plus subscribers. You're going to get that pic. (laughs) Um, <laughs> exclusively on our, on our, on our website. So sign up 10 bucks a month, it's support a, local and see Liz Bennett and Jinko's. It's like the most nineties thing ever. Cause it's like, I'm wearing like Jinko's and like a baby doll tee and a boy scouts shirt that I thrifted. Oh, that's awesome. And I think I have like a, like a red angled Bob. Oh, and I'm wearing a Tori Amos necklace. So of course you are pretty much awesome. So I have one last question okay. for you. That's actually kind of a heavy question if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, before we end this episode and jump over to our post show. Okay. Um, exclusive for LAS Plus subscribers. Dun, dun, dun. What was it like to come out to your parents? Oh, well, this is a fun one. Yeah. So um, I'm pretty sure my dad knew that this was coming. Um, you know, my my dad has seen a little bit more of the world than my mom. And, um, I mean, when I started... Um, going around my parents with my girlfriend at the time, I think it was probably should have been pretty obvious, um, that we were lady friends. Mm. Um, and I think my dad had a little bit of an inkling of that. How old were you? Um, actually I, it's interesting. So I came out to my parents late, even though, so I do remember telling my mom in high school that I liked kissing girls. Um, but she just kind of made a face at me, I think partially because that doesn't compute um, sure. to her. Um, so let's see here. Um, this would have been in about 2008. and That recently? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I was in college and um, you know, I was in a serious relationship with a woman and I was not willing to be in the closet. Um, I was not willing to tiptoe you know, around, you know, or, you know, make her feel like a secret or something I was ashamed of or whatever. So I started to work up to it. Um, and here's part of why I think my dad knew it was coming because, you know, I had randomly been like, um, dad, I was thinking that I could come down there and we could have lunch soon. Um, just me and you. (laughs) Right. And he was like, okay. His spidey senses went off. Yeah. You know, that never happened, but just finally it was just to the point where I was like, okay, like my mom was kind of, I think starting to have an inkling that I'm seeing somebody. Um, and I just, I would rather just put it all out there. And, um, so I drove to the quad cities. My parents live in the quad cities. So I drove down there. Um, my best friend went with me and it was like nine o'clock at night. Right. And I, I, so we, we go in there and we all sit down at the kitchen table and, uh, you know, we just talk about the weather and things like that. And then my best friend, B.A.B., says, Liz, didn't you have something to tell your mom and dad? Oh, what a good friend. She's a good friend. I said, yes. Um, so I am seeing somebody, you know, and, and my dad has his hands crossed. And he's like, okay. And, and my mom just looks at me like, you know, and I said, well, it's, it's Angie. Um, and my dad says, okay. And my mom just, you know, her, her face just gets, you know, more and more like she's in an alternate reality. 
And, um, you know, so I just said, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to have a supportive person in my life. And, um, you know, we care about each other a lot. And, um, you know, we are dating. And so finally my mom says, well, I don't understand. <laughs> what makes this any different than just friends? and so i think everybody at the table simultaneously was like oh no and then my dad my dad to the rescue my dad goes well uh you know i I think he asked how my cat was or something i don't even he just changed the subject he just changed the subject he was like well you know how about them bears how about the bears you know bears something like that so you know dad to the rescue and you know then we moved on with the conversation so that part went well um, the aftermath didn't go as well. Right. Um, you know, I, I do think the conversation sure. was had about, you know, so my, I, I paid my way through college. Um, my parents in the, I think the last two years. Was that something that had to happen after you brought this up? Well, I think the conversation was had. Um, I suspect that my dad prevailed, um, you know, cause they, they did just give me like a little support with like some of my bills to get through my last two years of college and stuff. Um, but no, they didn't. But I, I was uninvited to a holiday. Um, wow. Let's see here. Um, because we, you were going to bring Angie or because just because? Just, I think it was just avoidance. It was just avoidance. You were. Yeah. Got it. And got it. so I countered by calling my aunt, um, scheduling the holiday with her. It was Easter. And then um, having her inform my mom that we were having Easter. And if she wanted to come, she could. Um. You know, but there, there definitely is, you know, aftermath. Shout out to your aunt. Yeah. No, I, I'm so grateful for my aunts on both sides of the family, both my parents' side of the family, um, you know, because my aunts were really supportive. Uh, my brother and his wife then were really supportive, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, there was another situation where um, we went to a wedding together, and um, and again, it, it was a lot of the, you know, kind of religious right people of the Quad Cities, um, but the person getting married, you know, had a more – um, a little broader perspective and there were going to be other um, gay and lesbian people there but it was the kind of wedding where you know there were little place cards and stuff for where you're going to sit and um, so my girlfriend and I had to go to Walgreens to get a card or something to put money in we got there and my parents or my mom or somebody had moved our name cards all the way to the end of the table mm. um, so it was very awkward because we showed up and then just kind of stood there awkwardly and we were like oh okay and so then we went to the end of the table. I mean, and there were probably about five feet between us and the other people at the table. Um, and then, oh, like not next to anyone. Yeah, just off. Yeah. in in no man's land. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, even though we had been at the wedding, my parents knew we were coming. Um, so it wow. actually made it very awkward for the other people as well. So we just went and sat at the end of the table. Um, and then luckily an emissary from the gay table wow. came over and invited us to go sit over there. Um, so that was a thing. The gay table. Yeah. And um, there was there was some other drama over um, when I graduated. Um, my girlfriend put, like, a really sweet, like, announcement in the paper, you know, that I think, like, was from, like, her. And, you know, just a typical graduation announcement, you know, graduating with a degree in politics and women's studies. Um, you know, we're so proud of you. Um, you know, Elizabeth is the daughter of Kathleen C. Vine of Silvis, Illinois, blah, blah, blah. My mom got really upset because their name, because it said that I'm their daughter. Um, so, you know, it's, we, we had to work through it and, um, you know, lots of parents, even parents who, you know, have supported their own gay and lesbian friends do have trouble working through, you know, a lot of the stuff because, you know, from, from that generation in particular, but I, I suspect even now, you know, parents are carrying a lot of weight of, um, expectations, feelings of whether or not, you know, their kids and how their kids are reflects back on them. Did they do something wrong? Um, you know, stuff like that. I think it, at one point, maybe in my twenties or something, my mom said, you know, we should have moved to the country and gotten you a horse wow. to, to try to figure out, you know, what they had done wrong. And I'm like, no, like that would have fixed it. So, um, so anyway, so, you know, I, I love my parents a lot. Um, but has, they, has your relationship, um, gotten better we you know what we we have figured out how to keep it together sometimes I have to take a break um my parents have never come to the state house to see me be sworn in um not even one time um because they're basically boycotting me um 
there during that first campaign, you know, I kind of, I had been campaigning, I think since July and then maybe in around January or February, just kind of hit a wall. And this is in 2014? This would be, yeah, 2014, you know, so I just, you know, I was kind of at that point of desperation and exhaustion where I was like, okay, like we're at the point where I'm going to have to use my resources and I'm going to have to send an SOS call to my parents. So, so I call my mom and I'm like, I'm not okay. Like, I need you to come up here. And she says, well, you know, we're not doing anything to help you win that election because I don't want you to get elected. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it's just, it's fun. It's funny because you're like, okay, I knew you were going to say that, you know, so then you're just like, I'm not oh. calling about that. I'm calling about me. My, I'm a person. Right. Right. I just, just as your daughter. Yeah. It's like, you have to reiterate to them like, okay, that's fine. But if you want me to survive, can you please just come up here? You know, anyway, so. And then they buckled. Yeah. So, so anyway, you know, it's, it's, um, it's an interesting relationship. You know, we, yeah, we navigate like it. it. There's a lot of love in our family, you know, but sometimes we just have to. And you said you have a brother? Yeah, I do have a brother. I have a really do good relationship with my the brother. The two of you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's, that's a big long story. That's lovely. Thank you for being so. vulnerable and sharing that with me mm-hmm. and my listeners, you know, because, because yeah, this, these are the parts that I don't think people know necessarily know, you know, that there are more hardships that come about that happened before 2014 when you were in the public eye. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that make you who you are. So I appreciate that. Well, Liz, thanks for coming on One Word Stories. This has been fantastic. I'm so, I feel so honored to, to have you on the show. Um, um, let's circle back around. Where can we find you? Okay, you can find me at www.lizbennett.com. You can find me on Twitter at Liz Bennett, Iowa. Um, also Facebook at Liz Bennett, Iowa, and on Instagram at Rep Liz Bennett. And hopefully Rep Liz Bennett will be updated shortly after June 7th. That's right. That's well, right. You've got my vote in the primary on June 7th um, for sure. Thank you for fighting for for choice and for people's rights and empathy. Um, we, we're, we're happy to have you here in Iowa. So right. thanks. Thanks for having me on the show, and thanks for using your voice to elevate the voice of others, Alex. Yeah. It is my pleasure. Uh, everybody else, hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of One Word Stories. What a topic. Um, maybe, hopefully, a bit of a weight has been lifted off of your shoulders. Maybe now you know a little bit more about the topic than you knew before. And, and you can um, feel more comfortable talking to your friends and family about it as well by using some of the things that you heard today on the episode from Liz. But yes, all of her information is going to be down in the bio. So if you'd like to um, uh, donate to a special cause or if you'd like to get active in your community, please go to those links. Uh, otherwise, we're going to go ahead and can I can I convince you to stick around for the post show? Oh, I suppose. Okay. We've also got uh, full transparency. Liz's friend Jen is here on the couch over here sitting and we're going to bring her into the post show as well. Um, and, and we're going to play some fun games, maybe crack open another beer here and uh, yeah, have some more fun. If you'd like to listen to that post show, subscribe to LAS Plus, especially if you want that picture of Liz and Jinkos. <laughs> it's over <laughs> there. Go to lasmediagroup.com slash plus to get started. And uh, every single Wednesday, we'll talk to you next Wednesday unless I'm talking to you here in a second on the post show. And as always, I will leave you with one more question. What's your word? Mustache Media.